Um, we've grown as a church. Have you noticed how loud we sing now? Uh, it's wonderful. So thank you for leading us, worship team, and um, thank you for allowing us the time off over this break. Um, we're going to start a little series today that's going to help us start the new year, and so I want to invite you to take your Bible and open it to the book of Genesis, and a uh, good place to start, right? Start a new year in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and we're going to look at a few truths there and end on the note of rest, but um, it really is uh, a joy to be back after a few Sundays off. Um, a few people to pray for. Today, I think, just on my heart, some of our staff, uh, Brad and Cindy, are, I believe they've arrived safely. We bid them farewell this week to go on leave for a while overseas, and I believe they've arrived safely. Let's pray for great rest for Brad and Cindy um, over the next couple of weeks. And then our church secretary, Eleanor, is in hospital, and she is going to have gallbladder surgery, I believe, this week. have seen her. She's doing well, but obviously anxious about test results coming back tomorrow. Um, and so let's pray specifically for her um, this week. And there are others as well um, that you can receive in the worship guide. And I'll, I'll pray for those in, in just a minute. So I just want to make sure everyone's okay. Everyone okay? Doing good? Okay. I'm really looking forward to this new year. And uh, God has blessed our leadership with lovely ideas and vision for the new year. And um, we're so grateful to God for the Christmas season we had, the Advent season. Um, so many folk visiting our church and lovely programs that we had over our carol service and hanging of the greens and our church services over Christmas. And I just want to thank all of you that have been a part of that, the volunteers behind the scenes and staff, leaders in our church, and then, of course, lay people that have served tirelessly to make that a, a blessing. So let's start the year together in this book. And I'm going to read some scripture and then... Um, and then we'll expound it together. This is a lovely picture of the creation. It's the zoom out. Chapter 2 zooms in on the creation of mankind. Um, as I read, I think to, to save time, what I'd like to do is just pay attention or allow everyone to pay attention to a lovely structure. Um, the days are lined up in parallel. Day 1, 2, and 3 and four, five, and six. And then they culminate together with the whole theme of rest. So this sermon's gonna be crafted the same way. We're gonna look at some truths from the creation narrative and then culminate on the note of rest. Um, I don't know about you, but I, I wouldn't mind if my holidays could just continue a little bit longer, right? So that's what we're aiming to do here, to find rest in the Lord. So when we start our work tomorrow and our school this week, um, we can find rest in things beyond our circumstance. Um, that's how the text works. So I'm not going to dive into all that. Study that in your own time. But light is created, for example, in day one. And then the beings of the, the light, so the, the sun, the stars, and the moon, are created day four. And they parallel each other. The land is created, uh, vegetation and things in day three. And then day six, man is, is created to, and, and the animals to now live in the land and live on the vegetation. So a beautiful structure that's given to us and all culminates with this note of rest. So verses one and, and two, let's look at this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without void, sorry, without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. I wanna read the next three words, and God said. So the word of God was the vehicle by which the creation was created. Then there's a long break 
with the days as they unfold. So day two, day one, two, three, four, five, and six, and I want to pick it up in verse 27. So God created man now in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. This is how male and female equal in their value and in their creation. He created them to bear image of himself. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living creature or living thing that moves on the earth. There's a note of dominion and rule. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food God providing all the needs or providing for all the needs of mankind. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food and it shall be so. And the Lord saw everything that he had made and trumpet blast, behold, he, it was, first time in the narrative, the word very has included. Everything to this point had been good now suddenly looking at the pinnacle, the climax, the, the, the apex of creation, God said it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work, the work that he had done in creation. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you, Lord, for a new year. I want to thank you, Father, for your promises that we can cling to going into the new year. Lord, I want to thank you for those that have um, served over the season to draw our attention to Jesus. And I want to pray, Lord, that you would use... Um, all of the fruit of the efforts of Advent, Lord, to usher us into 2020. Lord, I'm grateful for your word and pray that today would be an encouragement for people to uh, align habits and disciplines so that we may grow in your word in this new year. So I pray for your blessing over this time in, in the scriptures this morning. Those that have need of you, Lord, I pray for special help. Those in hospital and um, those struggling with illness, those traveling, perhaps, I commit them to you, Father, for your grace to sustain them and to help them and to heal them. So, Lord, again, I pray, um, steer our minds and our hearts toward you as found in Genesis 1 and the early part of chapter 2. Amen. This is a very important part of the, of the Bible, by the way. It's referred to by scholars as the prologue of Genesis. It really is the key to understanding the book of Genesis and therefore the key to understanding the Pentateuch of the Bible, the first five books of the Bible. And if we understand the Pentateuch, we then understand the whole of Scripture. So the portion that I read, which is the parenthesis around the creation, the beginning, the origins of the Scriptures and of, of creation are very important. And they answer two questions that are absolutely essential to the Christian life. The two questions are, who is God and how does He relate to us? Two very important and related questions. Who is God and how does he relate to us? 
And if we answer these questions correctly, according to Moses, the author of Genesis, we will arrive at the same place that the text arrives, and that is at a place of rest. So my goal for this morning is to answer the question, who is God, how does he relate to us, and then discover rest at the source of rest that is described and explained for us in these chapters. And I'm hoping that you will find rest. I really am. It's a prayer as your pastor that for 2020, you would, in the hustle and the bustle and the, um, the stresses of life, that you would be able to find rest um, as recommended, prescribed for us here in Genesis 1 and 2. There's always been this battle, you know, between science and God, and it rages that this battle is fought in these verses, by the way. But there's no real tension for me because I find that every time science makes a discovery, it's almost an exaltation of the creator. It is a, an exaltation of his infinite power and his wisdom as creator. I don't know if you've noticed that, but when I read articles about science, I'm always discovering, you know, that God is the one that is heralded as being the creator, the one that's behind all of this great design. One thing science can't do, however, science cannot answer or explain what the purpose and the plan for mankind was in the beginning. We can discover all things that affirm loads of things. I mean, there's so many debates, thousands of them, um, scientifically that would now you know, be there to, to exalt who God is and what he has done in the creation of this world and people and creation itself. But when it comes to answering the big question of life, the purpose and plan for our existence, we're not going to find that in science. We're only going to find that with the designer. That, that question can only be asked, answered by the one who created the creator, and he's the one that is described in these chapters. And the purpose and plan is given for us right here. And in revealing um, the purpose for mankind and the plan for mankind, the character of the creator is also um, explained and described for us beautifully. And I'm hoping we can discover God in this chapter in that way. So it is possible to learn the answer to these questions. Who is God and how does he relate to us? And therefore, it is possible for us to conclude a life of rest, to discover in this text a life of rest. And um, as your life picks up in pace, I believe these verses are going to be helpful, very helpful for us. Well, first point I want to make is this. Find rest in God revealed as ruler. Find rest in God revealed as ruler. He's ruler because there was nothing before him. So think about the logic here. Moses goes to great lengths to tell us that before God there was nothing, so everything after him was created. He is without beginning, and Christmas has been an affirmation of that, that Jesus himself was without beginning. He was begotten, not created. We described and talked about over the Christmas season. And so he's at the top of the heap, he's at the highest rank. In fact, the word creation in the Hebrew, bara, is always used with God as the subject of that action. Every time it's used in the Bible, God is the one that is doing the action. He is doing the doing when it comes to creation and when creation is described. It would be foolish, Moses is saying, for somebody to follow somebody else or to ascribe their loyalty to someone else or something else other than the one who is deserving of our submission. And he is the God that is described in the text. He is creator, verse 1. He is the one that brings order from 
um, all the void and the emptiness that the, the world is described as in the first verses of the Bible. He is the one that takes confusion and formlessness and brings it to perfection. So he is the one that brings order. He is a good God in verse 3. Verses 1 and 26 line up to speak about God being triune. There's the, 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 the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit active in um, this creative work. Even hints of sacrificial love. God didn't have to do this. But it seems as man is created, all the needs of man are met, prepared for in the creation. And there's this picture of a creating God who loves those whom he is creating. He's even willing to pay a penalty. And so the Son, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Son is around, present, the word through which I believe the, the world was created. And the Son there is, is in the narrative for us to be reminded of the fact that later on in the big, big story of the Bible, he would be the one paying the penalty for our sin to redeem mankind. This is all found in the narrative of the first chapter of the Bible. God is sovereign in verse 30, 24 to 31. He's unique. He is omnipotent because he's creating all powerfully. I mean, by the words of his mouth, C.S. Lewis said he almost sang creation into existence. And I, I love that picture of God using music and word to now bring about all that we see in, in creation, even in ourselves as created beings. He's also omniscient. He is all wise and he assists in creation, but behind the actions of God is, is all perfect wisdom, uncorrupted by sin or spoiled by by wickedness or evil. The application that I discover in the first chapter of the Bible leading into chapter two is a priority. And I've entitled this sermon Priority because we're starting a new year and this is the time for New Year's resolutions and prioritizing. Um, and through the, the message, I'm gonna hint to a whole bunch of different priorities that come out of this text um, as applications behind the big theology that I'm trying to promote. And one of those theologies would be this, to know that God. If God is creator, is God of order, he's good, he's triune, he's sovereign, unique, omnipotent, omniscient, loving, self-sacrificial, if he's that kind of God, surely our priority in 2020 needs to be to know him more. Or maybe for the first time to get to know him. I mean, there are the, you know, the surface level applications that pastors could use. You know, Get to know him by coming to church. Get to know him by plugging into a life group and getting your kids plugged into Sunday school on a Sunday and youth on a Friday night and Bible reading on a daily basis and Bible reading with your family, Bible reading with your spouse, um, Bible reading for the, for the problems and the decisions, taking the Bible and applying the Bible to problems and decisions that you have in your own life and in the lives of others. Um, to fall in love with the Bible would be some of the surface level application. But through the break, I... Notice that various scholars were speaking about Bible reading, just online, uh, various um, places that I subscribe to, and I noticed that this is a time of the year for us to align, logically, align our disciplines, right? We're starting a new year, people are throwing out their, their old things, replacing them with new, and they're getting to the gym, trying to you know, refresh various um, you know, actions and duties in life when it comes to mowing the lawn and whatever else, uh, chores that you may have. Surely, spiritually, we can do the same thing. So that's maybe why scholars are writing on this topic. But in reading those articles, um, I was very blessed by an article that John Piper wrote about Bible reading. And I felt very burdened in light of the fact that knowing God is connected to the Scriptures. We find God in the Scriptures. I, I felt burdened to share 
some of what I discovered um, in my reading over the, the Christmas break. And so I'm going to share that with you. As a bit, of, a bit of an aside here, a priority to know God in 2020 is going to be welded to our handling of this book, our handling of the Bible, and our love for the Scriptures and our growing in the Scriptures. And so I want to start at this place. Why does it matter? Why does it matter to read the Bible? And I want to say read the Bible daily. Because there's a very strong teaching in the Bible that we are to be reading the Scriptures on a daily basis and receiving that daily bread from God um, every day. Because we need Him every day, every moment. So why does it matter? And I want to give you five reasons why it matters from Scripture. I'm not going to expound on these. I'm just going to throw them out for you. Uh, I believe the the Scriptures will be on the screen. If not, take the address and have a look um, at these verses a little bit later. John 6, 68 explains that the Bible gives life. The Bible gives life. First reason why it matters to read your Bible. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You don't have the food of eternal life. You don't have the money of eternal life. You have the words of eternal life. Now, if you are one of those that are, is interested in eternal life, not death and destruction, then know that the Bible gives life. Secondly, the Bible gives faith. The Bible gives faith. Take down this reference. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing. So well, what are we listening to? Well, we are listening to the word of Christ. Faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. I mean, these verses really affirm what the, what the, the point is of the Bible giving faith. So there's life from the Bible, there's faith from the Bible. Thirdly, there is hope from the Bible. Let me give you a, a, verse, a reference there for that too. Romans 15, 4. Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. I don't know about you, but the world is craving hope. Everywhere I look in the world, outside of my um, sheltered environment of Christianity and the truth of the Scriptures, I'm looking, for the, I'm looking at a world that is hungry for hope going into 2020. And there's the promise. You might have hope if you find it in the Scriptures. Fourth reason why it matters to read your Bible regularly, the Bible gives joy. Okay, just by show of hands, who needs a dose of joy? Just real quick, just by show of hands. I mean, what you read on Facebook, social media, news, um, if you had to sum it up, I don't think the concluding emotion would be joy. Um, very opposite often, you know, of, of being despondent is what I discover. But joy is promised in John 15, 15, 11. These things I've spoken to you that my joy, Christ, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I don't know about you, but that is an awesome, awesome promise going into the future. The fifth reason why it matters to read your Bible is fruitfulness from Psalm 1. Um, I remember riding my bicycle one day and memorizing this psalm and the imagery of the psalm. And just over and over again in the bike ride, just thinking about the imagery of this beautiful tree that is planted by streams of water. But notice what the psalmist says. His delight is in the law of the Lord, in the scriptures, in the, in the statutes of God, in the, in the word of God, in the command of God. His delight is here. And on this law he meditates, here's the daily thing, day and night. He allows the word to be fresh in his mind and heart 
and for, for it to dwell there and stew there all through the day and into the night, even waking at night. What a blessing it is to have a fresh scripture in your mind to think about. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. Leaf doesn't wither. All that he does prospers. Fruitfulness is promised to the one who spends his time here and feeds off the word of God. That's why it matters. Life, faith, joy, hope, and fruitfulness all promised in scripture um, as we get a daily diet of the word of God. So now, here's the question. Why don't we read our Bibles? If the big theology of Genesis 1 and 2 is that we can find God, know Him, and in so doing, find rest in life, if that is the big stuff, and it's all, what we all want and crave, why do we find it so hard to keep that regular quiet time going? Well, I'm going to give a couple of obstacles here and see if you identify with these. The first one is you don't want to. You, you, you look at the Bible on the, on the table and there's just no desire at all to want to read the Bible. Now, I know this is the time where you don't want to nod your head and agree with the pastor because you don't want to be seen by others to like, oh yeah, that's true. But really, if you to seek deep in your heart, I think we can all say there have been seasons like this where in comparison to a high-definition, you know, surround-sound movie that I can turn on in my home theater right now, the entertainment I'm promised here doesn't compare sometimes. Our heart. Our heart has drifted sometimes from the delights and the joys and the tastes of what is satisfaction in God alone. So what do we do when that is the case? And it can go for a long time. I mean, it can be months. I mean, some, some in the room might be even thinking, when, when last did I even read the Bible? Or want to read the Bible? Maybe just checked off a box and doing it out of duty, but when last did I delight to read the Scriptures? What do we do in that situation? Well, let me bring you some comfort. In the psalmist, according to Dr. Piper, there are various requests made by different authors of the Psalms. And we love the Psalms because when we read those prayers of the Psalms, we identify with some of the cries that are cried and pleaded in the Psalms. They are very close to our situation. And there are various times in the Psalms where a particular request is made of God to help the psalmist with his daily reading. And so I, I was blessed to learn that we can pray the same prayers. They are not unique to us. You're not the first person to not want to read your Bible. We can come alongside of a psalmist recorded in Scripture, and we can pray Scripture to our situation in the moments of our laziness, our apathy toward the Bible. Here's the, here's the particular prayer I'm speaking about. Psalm 119, verse 36. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. I don't know about you, but the human heart gravitates toward selfish gain. Our sin proves itself. If you want proof of the fact that you're a sinner, just look at the gain that your heart runs after. It might be in this year a new job, or it might be a new thing, a new car, or a new boat. It could be a new relationship. Our heart gravitates toward selfish gain. But here's a prayer of the psalmist to pray. Lord, incline my heart. Bend it. That's what it means. Bend my heart to your testimony. And church, I want to encourage you, together with your pastor, to pray that prayer in 2020. 
Lord, create in me a desire for your word. Bend my heart toward your word. The second obstacle for us reading our Bible may be this, a lack of wonderful discovery. Uh, You look at the book and there might even be a desire, a deep desire because of your conversion to know God more and a want to journey into the scriptures, but it's been a long time since you've discovered something that is wonderful here. Um, You just haven't been blown away by what you have read in the scriptures. A lot of times people speak about reading through programs. You start the new year in Genesis and when they get to like, you know, Leviticus, Numbers, uh, things start getting a little heavy. And you start wondering, when last did I discover something wonderful? And again, it points to our heart, doesn't it? It points to the fact that our eyes are blind, the eyes of our heart, and this is described in Romans 1 and other places in the Bible, that the eyes of our heart are blinded to the wonders of the word of God. Our hearts Our affections are earthly. They love the things of the world. Our hearts are anti-God, the Bible says. We are enmity with God because we are actually, in our fabric, anti-God. We are dull, according to the scriptures, describing humanity, we are dull in our mind. And therefore our heart has very opaque views of the wonders of God. So what do we do about it? This is not only true for non-Christians. I mean, non-Christians, those that don't know the Lord, always read the Scriptures with some kind of like haze over their eyes. Always. But even for Christians, this is true because the psalmist has to pray a particular prayer. And his prayer goes like this. Psalm 119 again, verse 18, a little bit earlier in the book. He says, Open my eyes, God. Open my eyes that I might behold wondrous things out of your law. So church, KBC family, Let's make that our prayer this this year. God, I'm pleading with you. Open my eyes, not the eyes of my my head, but the eyes of my heart. Open these eyes so I might behold the wondrous things. So when I have the temptation to run after some kind of other thrill, nothing compares to what I've discovered here. I want to ask you to pray for me and for others that would fill this pulpit that when we teach on a Sunday that the wondrous things of the word of God might be explained and beheld by our church family. That is my greatest desire for this new year. That we might adventure into the Bible and discover the wondrous things of God. A third obstacle for you in reading your Bible regularly may be this. If you don't identify with the first two, you have discovered, you've been studying and you've discovered wonderful things, you still don't get this Daily thing right. This might be the reason. Um, Distraction and division. I'll put them together because they really are connected. Distraction would be something like um, you have a quiet time in the morning and a rumbly tummy. And you feel, man, bacon and eggs would be good right now. In the middle of your Bible reading. Distraction. You're a young mom and children come in and beat on the door right in the middle of your Bible reading. Distraction. That's that first level of you know, some kind of distraction away from what should be a delight. But division is a little bit deeper. Division goes to the heart again. Where in your heart there might be division in your affections and your loyalties. And the psalmist has to pray. And he prays a very specifically worded prayer in Psalm 86 verse 11. He prays this prayer because he has a problem with division in the heart. And this is what he prays. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. 
Then the second half of the sentence goes, unite my heart to fear your name. And I meditated on that word a long time. Unite my heart. The only things we need to unite in life are the things that are divided. His heart was divided, the psalmist says, and I'm sure that we can identify with times in our life where our affections and our loyalties are divided. And we need the Lord to unify our heart. I mean, I, you're talking about distraction and rumbly tummy. I, I read this article from an, where we watched this show. It was an Amber about the famous chef. And she would prepare food in an Eastern context. And um, she described how certain foods like onion and garlic and other herbs were not used in her recipes because it would cause rumbly tummies for the monks when they were trying to meditate. Can you believe it? And it was just that, I just immediately thought of how true it can be for ourselves. The simplest thing, like an alarm going off in the middle of a sermon, can distract your mind from the Word of God immediately. Immediately. It can be something of the heart, though, like money. Something good, like family. Family can be a distraction of the heart. Work, a good thing, can become a real big distraction of the heart. Our loyalties can shift toward work away from the Word of God. Exercise, a simple thing, good thing, healthy thing, something we all should be doing, can become a distraction of the heart. Our heart can be divided. And our prayer needs to be with the psalmist, unify my heart and the purpose, so I might fear your name and grow and walk in your truth. Psalm 86, the last obstacle to reading your Bible. Could be this one. I mean, you've got a desire because you're saved, you, you love the Lord, you want to grow and learn and know God more. You, you've even discovered wonderful things in the Word. I mean, that's an awesome truth. I mean, wow, you know. Psalm, uh, Genesis 1, creates light and then it aligns with no, day 4. And then day 2 and day 5 and day 3 and day 6. Line up and then end up. I mean, that's incredible discovery. Wow. You may even not have a divided heart. Your heart is unified and there's even no distraction. You'd be able to find that place. It's quiet and separated and where you can be silent and alone with the Lord. But when you read the Bible, number four, after reading, there might not be any effect. And this might be true, I'm sure, of most that have journeyed in the Scriptures as I have. Sometimes we read the Bible and there's, just, there's no effect. And um, it's, it's a worry, isn't it? I mean, this is God's Word. The one vehicle that he's given to us to know him. And I read it, I put it down, and I'm like, I'm just not moved. So the psalmist, praise God, these verses are in the Bible, because we'd feel real awful if they weren't. But the Bible has these verses to show us that there are times that we need to pray for a genuine satisfaction in reading the scriptures. And if I haven't nailed you on the first three, I'm telling you, number four, we're probably going to reel everybody in. I want to encourage you, 2020, to pray the prayer of Psalm 86, excuse me, Psalm 90, verse 14. Psalm 90, verse 14. Satisfy us in the morning. Why? Because the Bible encourages us to have a quiet time first thing of the day. Get out of bed and, and I think there's enough evidence to, to start your day on the right foot and to fill your mind with the Bible rather than Facebook and all that drama that's coming on your schedule and your calendar, newspaper and those kinds of things. Satisfy me in the morning with your steadfast love that I may rejoice and be glad all my days. I'm making the verse personal to a one-person prayer. John 15, 11 explains that God's spoken word makes us full of joy. That is the promise. 
And if you're seeking joy in other things or even discovering joy in other things, like for me it would be surfing or my children or married life or serving the Lord, good and great. But our ultimate satisfactions, our ultimate joys, our ultimate fullness is only promised in the word, the spoken word. Look at John 15, 11. God's spoken word. All these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Spoken these things to you. That's what you're going to discover. You're not going to find full joy if you go hiking in the mountains. Even though God created the mountains for our enjoyment, we're not going to find it there. You're not going to find your joy fully in your spouse, even though your spouse was, I believe, created for you in whom to find joy. The Bible says that our ultimate joy is found in Him, and it's found through, very clear, the spoken word of God. So these are the obstacles to reading our Bible. May this year become a year where we discover rest, and we discover that rest in the revealed God of the Bible, who is our ruler, who is our ruler. That first point of my my message answers the first question, who God is, who God is. And it's an essential question for us to answer going into this year. It really is. The second half of the question is answered, and it's it's much shorter than obviously the first one, because I wanted to add this application. I, I really personally have been blessed and encouraged to, you know, amp up my time in the Word, and I would love to join you in that. I'd love for you to join me in that as we approach 2020. And so I want to take that aside and give you all the nuts and bolts that are needed to grow there. But let's answer the second question and find that rest quickly. Find rest in God revealed, secondly, as Redeemer. Oh, He's definitely ruler. He's sovereign. He's in charge. He's in control. That's who God is. Find Him in the pages of Scripture explore and adventure into him in 2020. But this is what you're going to discover when you find him. You're going to find him to be a God who redeems. And you might say, well, hold on, the fall of mankind only comes in chapter 3 of the Bible. There's nothing to redeem in chapter 1. Oh, yes, there is. There is. The Bible starts with words of chaos, that the, the world was empty. It was void. And what does God do? He comes into that space and he fashions it into something perfect. Our God is a redeeming God. And so we find hints and flavors of redemption from the first verse of Scripture. In the beginning, there's a God, and there's something that needs his work. And so chaos is fashioned into perfection. Darkness is transformed into light. I mean, goodness sake, there's, there's so many great, great examples of God's handiwork in redeeming in this first chapter. Most of the chapter is all about preparing a place for mankind to dwell. But then it moves into the verses I read. The verses about man being created at the pinnacle of creation. And when man is created, alongside of the creation of man, there are purposes wedged in. What is the plan for this creature? What is the plan and purpose for this creature? What are his responsibilities? What ought his, his priorities to be in 2020? And they're given to us. And there's a whole list of them. I'm going to give you five. The first one is to be a representative for God. Write this down somewhere. We are created to represent God as image bearers. We are created unlike anything other in the image of God to be a 
one who would resemble God. You might say, well, what does that whole image-bearing thing mean? I mean, is God black or is he white? You know, is he blonde or is he blue eyes? I mean, what is this whole image thing about? No, no, it goes way beyond just the external. Although there are probably there are elements of that in, in the, the image-bearing as well. What has been spoken about here is the fact that in moral disposition, we have been created in the image of God. And what that means, because that's like big words, what that means is that we have the potential to be righteous. Animals do not. Vegetation does not. The mountains do not. But humankind has the potential to be righteous and to be holy. Wow. Because that's why God is. God's righteous and he is holy and we are allowed and we have this potential built into us to be just like him. And that's why the New Testament speaks about being a new creation. Sin comes into the world after this design and it corrupts all things, it scars some things. But then in the New Testament, Jesus comes as the solution to the scars and now we are able again to be a new creation, a reforming of the old original design that was scarred by the fall. That's why Colossians 3.10 says, put on a new self, renewed in the knowledge of the image of the creator. Be holy. Be righteous. Ephesians 4 verse 24 says, put on a new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and in true holiness. We've got a purpose. Our purpose is not to become the most wealthy person of the year. The person is not to become you know, the, most, the most trophied individual in your school. The purpose is not to be the most good-looking, fit individual in your gym. The purpose is to resemble God, plain and simple. And that, of course, will last for eternity. Moral, righteous, and holy individuals is the priority for 2020. We need to be growing in this. If you look at your testimony, there should be this you know, meet God in conversion, salvation, beginning. And there should be this ongoing step of, of an increase in holiness, becoming more and more like God in the image bearing. As the image of Christ is restored in us as we grow older and deeper in the word, I believe. And what an awesome priority for 2020. I think, you know, some of you guys are thinking, I come to church and I'll give you the three big ones. You know, read your Bible and pray every day. <laughs> but there's a whole lot more to it. As important as those things are, there's a whole lot more to it. There's the, the aim and the objective of becoming holy, representative. Number two is a rule. God gave Adam and Eve the, the, the responsibility to rule, to have authority. And we've been given responsibility, authority over this world. You know, are you going to litter? Are you going to pollute? I mean, there's, there's responsibility. How are you going to govern? How are you going to manage? There's people around us. There's work to be done. And in this responsibility, you can either... Be responsible or you can exploit. And the Bible is calling us to rule rightly because that's what God would do. To rule rightly with the authorities that have been given to us as pinnacle, as chief over creation. A lot more I could say about that, but that's simple. Number three, reproduction. I put this in here because the Bible says multiply and fill the earth. That was his command in Genesis 1. Purpose for mankind. Priority for 2020. Multiply and fill the earth. And of course, you might think, well, is that just speaking about, I'm going to use the word intimacy and marriage. I'm not going to use the S word because there's little ears in here right now. But is that just speaking about intimacy and marriage? It is, but behind it, there are the theologies of marriage and family. 
And so ultimately what the author is telling us as a priority going forward in answering this question, the question of how God relates to us and watching his redemption take place, what the author is saying is when we refuse to allow our marriage and our family to be serviceable to the kingdom of God, when we refuse to allow our marriage and family to ultimately honor the kingdom of God and, and his work and the gospel work here on this earth, we are perverting the design of God in the beginning. I mean, that just hit me like a, like a wave. I just realized all of a sudden, you know, that there are, there are steps that I need to take as a dad and there are steps that I have to take as a hubby going forward into 2020 that are really undergirded by this thing. I have a responsibility. I have a priority. I have a purpose and I have a plan. And it is under this big heading of reproduction. Family and marriage and family. I just want to give a little um, blurb here real quick. Um, we are birthing a new life group in 2020. Brad and I have prayed about this and the elders have prayed about this. and um, We have decided to birth a new family life group. And so if you, when, a, when a husband and a wife come together on their wedding day, uh, the Bible explains that before children even, they are regarded as a family unit. Hubby and wife, husband and wife, one in the Lord. And this particular family life group is going to be hosted at the manse. And I want to encourage you to sign up for that. If you're a married, young married individual, you have tiny ch children, and they're going to maybe be a, taking part in our youth on a Friday night, that's the environment in which to sign up for. And if you're here this morning and want to know more about that, Amber, raise your hand real quick, sweetheart. Um, Amber, my wife, and myself are here to take your name and number so we can get this rolling very soon as school cranks up next week. Allow your family and your marriage to be serviceable to the kingdom of God. Two more requirements. God gives all that is needed. And what I learn in that as a, in terms of a priority is if God is the source of all that we need, surely our action in the new year needs to be to submit to him and to surrender to him and to do so with thanksgiving, to recognize all that God has given. It's our, it's our priority. It's our responsibility, the plan and the purpose of God for humanity to continually be thankful for what we have in the Lord. And if you've been one of those people that in 2019 has been despondent and discouraged and downcast, defeated by what is going on in your life, may I recommend something very simple to you from the Word of God today? Try to be thankful. Try and take Philippians 4 and Genesis 1 here, the, the hints of, of thanksgiving that you find in Genesis 1 and 2, and allow this to become part of your habit in prayer. To list out in your journal all the things that you are thankful for already. Not the things that you're about to have. That's rubbish theology. That's, that's false teaching where you thank God for something you're about to have. That, that's something I don't find in Scripture. But to take what you have and recognize God's provision of all of your requirements and your needs of 2019. Amen? I mean, God has been good. I mean, look at the community we live in here. God has been extraordinarily good in 2019. And I think what the, the Bible is saying here as part of our purpose is to come with thanksgiving and acknowledge our dependency that all of this comes from God. He has been active in your life and he has been good. The last one is rest. And this is where the sermon ends. We can answer these questions. Moses is saying who God is and how he deals with us, how he relates to us in these verses. And we can find him in the scriptures by adventuring into the scriptures and finding God there. And we can discover him to be a redeeming God, taking chaos 
and making perfection. I don't know if your life is that, but my life certainly is chaos made to perfection by God alone. I give him all the glory for that. And I trust we can discover that going into 2020. The promise of the answering of these two questions given in the text is rest. In this huge picture of God himself taking rest. Now, he didn't have to do that. You ever thought about this? I mean, God's not like getting tired on day seven. Like, I'm exhausted. I need rest. God doesn't need any rest. So what on earth did he rest for? To give us a model of what we need. That's what he did. And so we look at God and we see in his resting our need to come under his uh, sovereignty and, and rest before him. The command is given very clearly for us to find rest. It's part of, again, this point that I'm trying to make of redemption. We are, we are under sin and we carry the burden and the effect of sin. And may I say that um, fatigue is the symptom of that burden of sin in this world. In a perfect world, we would not get tired. It would be awesome, wouldn't it? But in an in a evil-ridden, sinful world, we get tired and we become lazy and apathetic. And God's redeeming, he's freeing us from out of under this burden of sin is found in what we call rest. So may I just say, set aside that, that Sabbath rest. Find a day. For me, it cannot be today. I work on Sundays. So for me, I have other days, Saturday and Monday. Sometimes I divide my rest, but other times I keep it in one day. I try to do that most of the time. Have one solid day where I can rest in the Lord and, and, and adventure, do that adventuring on my own here, you know? And get alone with the Lord and spend some time, it's special in prayer, and spend some time in worship of the Lord and get some of these disciplines rolling. Um, this is the rest that is spoken about here that can be discovered as we discover God in 2020. To be ruler, he is in control of all things, and to find God to be redeemer, who is redeeming all things, taking chaos and making perfection. I mean, I needed this sermon. If it wasn't for anybody else in the church today, it definitely was for me. To set aside a few moments with my wife and discuss the day. How are we going to wake up? When are we, what time are we going to wake up? When are we going to get the kids ready for school? When are we going to spend time in the Word? When are we going to spend time together praying? When are we going to do those things that are absolutely essential to this adventure? And how are we going to implement some of this so that we can discover the rest that is promised? That's what we want ultimately in life, to discover the rest of God. Uh, A.P. Ross said this, Ultimately, he, God, who caused light to shine out of darkness, Genesis 1, made his light shine in the hearts of believers so that they may become new creations. And so he referenced the verse, 2 Corinthians. Turn there with me quickly. In the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6. And I want you to see the wording. That's why I'm turning there with you. 4 verse 6. I want you to see this wording and notice some of the language of Genesis 1. The gospel that I discover in in Genesis 1. For God, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6, for God who said, there's his word, let light shine out of darkness, said those words in Genesis chapter 1, has shone in our hearts the same creative power, the omnipotent, transforming, creative power. He shines in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. KBC family, that's my prayer for you today. 
that God would do that work if he has not done that already. That creative work, bringing about a new creation, hearts of believers transformed by creative power, that he might do that for you and turn the lights on in your heart. Turn the lights on in your heart where perhaps darkness has drifted in. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for today. I want to thank you for the, the rest. It might not be necessarily a big fat vacation, but Lord, there's been times over the season of Christmas where the traffic has been less and the shops have been not so busy and there's been an opportunity for us to just take a breather. I want to thank you for that. In that time, Lord, we've, we've tried to design worship that is geared around the wonderful the wonders, the wonderful discoveries of your Bible about the, the birth of Jesus, the miracles of that narrative. And I, I pray that as we start this new year, that, Lord, we could implement the, the advices of Genesis 1 to answer these big questions and answer them in Scripture of who God is, his ruler, and how he relates to us, he redeems and as we answer those questions, Lord, may the result be rest for us. Oh, our lives can be packed, busy, productive, fruitful, honoring to you. But Lord, at the same time, there would be deep fullness and satisfaction and rest discovered by all of us. As we keep this balance, would you be glorified? Would the church grow and with those that do not know you, come to know you personally in 2020, we pray. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for coming today.